Welcome to this latest episode in the Herbert Smith Freehills FDI Friday podcast series, in which our foreign direct investment regulation experts are sharing their insights into FDI regimes around the globe. I'm Ruth Allen, a professional support lawyer in our competition, regulation and trade practice in London, and I'm joined today by Irina Akincheva and Ken Oi to discuss foreign investment regulation in Vietnam. Irina is a partner in our corporate team in our Singapore office, who advises clients on transactions across the Asia region and globally, with a particular focus on M&A in the energy sector. And Ken is a senior associate in the same team, who regularly advises clients on private M&A and other corporate transactions across Southeast Asia. Both Irina and Ken have considerable experience of the foreign investment review process in Vietnam and regularly collaborate with leading Vietnamese law firms to offer a seamless service to international clients seeking to do business in Vietnam. Now, before we delve into the specifics of the regulation of foreign investment into Vietnam, Ken, could you perhaps start off by sharing a bit of background about investment prospects in Vietnam and why it is becoming increasingly attractive to foreign investors? Sure. Thanks, Ruth. So foreign investment into Vietnam has certainly been growing recently. Looking at the latest statistics, Vietnam attracted a 54% increase in the value of investments compared to the previous year leading up to October 2023. And there are a large number of different reasons for why Vietnam is becoming increasingly attractive as a place for foreign investment. Firstly, economic development. So Vietnam has emerged as one of Asia's fastest growing economies in recent years. And this growth has been propelled by factors such as industrial expansion, transition towards a market-based economy, and substantial levels of foreign direct investment. At Vietnam's location, as its proximity to other significant markets like China, India, and the ASEAN nations make it a strategic center for trade and manufacturing. Vietnam has quite a young and skilled workforce, and that is, of course, a significant asset for businesses. The government has also made a number of substantial investments in education and training to maintain a good level of competence in the workforce. So again, government support, Vietnamese government has provided various incentives to foreign investors, including tax incentives and duty exemptions, especially for investments in specific industries and special economic zones. Vietnam also has been investing heavily in infrastructure, including transport, logistics and utilities, which can be beneficial for businesses operating in the country. And also it's got an expanding consumer market. With the population exceeding 90 million, Vietnam has an expanding middle class with rising disposable income, and that offers a substantial consumer market for a variety of products and services. I would just add as well that uh, Vietnam has been focusing quite heavily on um, energy transition, which has helped spur investment in that sector, in particular in the renewable sector in Vietnam. Um, there. There has been a little bit of a delay uh, and a little bit of a slower start uh, to foreign investment into Vietnam in the power sector in particular, given the delays that Vietnam experienced in passing the Power Development Master Plan number eight. But the plan that was approved earlier this year presents a very bold strategy uh, up to 2030 and extending a vision up to 2050 in terms of how Vietnam looks to develop its power sector. And it is a plan that we expect to spur investment in the energy sector. There is a big focus on development of renewable projects, as well as development of a number of LNG to power projects, uh, which will require a significant amount of investments from foreign players 
to make that plan a reality. The focus on energy transition has also uh, meant that Vietnam has been um, attracting investments from uh, tech companies uh, and battery manufacturers. And that again has been driving the market activity. We've also seen um, recently a focus on anti-corruption measures in the country. And whilst that has had a short-term impact on investor confidence, um, and particularly given the delays uh, caused um, at the sort of regulatory level, we expect that these measures, as they improve the, the perception of uh, corruption or, uh, in the country, uh, will also help spur investment. Thanks both for that helpful overview setting the scene in Vietnam. In terms of the regulatory framework that governs foreign investments in Vietnam, could I ask you to highlight the key features that investors need to be aware of? Sure. Well, like as a starting point, um, Vietnam operates on the basis of uh, essentially what we call a negative list. Um, in other words, uh, investors are allowed to invest in industries that are not prohibited by Vietnamese law. And under the law on investment and implemented regulations that accompany it, there are certain sectors where foreign investment is prohibited or where foreign investment is permitted but subject to certain conditions. So collectively, these the list of prohibited sectors and the conditionally open sectors is known as the negative list. Um, foreign investment generally needs to be in the form of establishment of a company uh, in Vietnam, which can either be wholly or partially foreign invested. And this establishment would typically require state approval uh, and the state approval of an investment project with foreign capital. Now, this is uh, recorded in investment registration certificate issued by the relevant local authority. So this could be either a provincial or municip a municipal department of planning and investment. Again, the level of authority that needs to issue uh, the, the investment registration certificate will depend a little bit on the size of the project, the location of the project, and to what extent the project might span several locations. Um, in addition to the investment registration certificate, certain types of investment projects will also require formal policy decisions so in, or in principle approvals by other um, state authorities. So, for example, National Assembly, the Prime Minister or certain specific uh, central government ministries, uh, provincial people's committees, etc, uh, etc. Et so uh, these approvals or uh, registrations uh, would typically need to be obtained before the investment registration certificate is issued. So, um, for example, for things like um, airports or seaports, um, these approvals need to be obtained before you can even apply for your company establishment. Um, most investment projects will require the investment registration certificate issuing authority to obtain preliminary opinions of other state authorities on a sort of semi-formal uh, basis. Again, that typically happens behind the scenes in a consultation process, um, which 
the foreign investor won't necessarily always have visibility over. So the process would be kicked off uh, by the foreign investor submitting its investment proposal to the de relevant department of planning and investment in the at the local authority. And that proposal will include details on the investor itself, the project, uh, various projections around the economic efficiency um, and impact on socioeconomic factors. And using that information, uh, the Department of Planning and Investment would then undertake those informal consultations with other state uh, authorities before it then comes to a decision as to whether to approve that investment. So just getting on to the mechanics of things, in a new company scenario, after the um, after the uh, investment registration certificate is issued, uh, the investor may then apply normally usually, normally via the business registration office, which is affiliated with the provincial department of planning and investment for the issuance of the enterprise registration certificate, which once it's issued, evidences corporate establishment. And in an existing company scenario, foreign capital contributions or acquisitions um, in most cases require the issuance of an acquisition approval, again issued by the municipal or provincial department of planning and investment. So for those um, investment registration certificates and the enterprise registration certificates and acquisition approvals, they'll only be issued if the applicant demonstrates that all, all applicable investment conditions have been satisfied. Um, and that could be to do with foreign ownership, restrictions, minimal capital requirements, personnel qualifications, financial capacity and others. And different rules will of course apply in relation to the establishment of public companies and securities investment funds. Thanks both. Could I ask you to expand a bit more on that negative list approach you mentioned, Irina, and the particular sectors where foreign investment is prohibited or conditional? Sure. Well, as I mentioned earlier, um, the the general approach is that foreign investors are allowed to invest into industries that are not otherwise prohibited by Vietnamese law, which are the prescribed on the negative list. There are certain sectors where foreign investment is subject to market access conditions. Um, and so as long as those market access conditions are satisfied, uh, foreign investment is permitted. Conditional business sectors are subject to additional requirements and regulations. So it could be uh, things like minimum capital requirements, professional qualifications for company employees, or limits on the uh, size of foreign investment. And I think, Ken, perhaps you can expand a little bit more on those sectors. Of course. So in 2021, additional guidance was actually given on the prohibited lists and conditional lists. So that's the negative lists for foreign investors, um, which applies in addition to the sectors with, with restrictions that are applicable for both domestic and foreign investors. On the prohibited list, that comprises 25 sectors. Some of the notable sectors include press activity, news collection, public opinion polling, um, the service of sending uh, Vietnamese workers to foreign countries under contracts, uh, industrial property and IP assessment, and certain areas of uh, tourism services. So for those, foreign investors are not permitted to invest in those sectors. The conditional list includes things like manufacturing services sectors, and that comprises 59 sectors. And I think the kind of some of the notable conditional um, sectors uh, cover franchising, commercial arbitration, debt trading services, shipping agency services, 
um, data center activities and certain payment services as well. Thanks, Irina. Helpful to have some examples there. And thinking about any unusual features of the regulatory framework in Vietnam, um, which investors might perhaps not expect compared to other foreign investment regimes, are there any features you would highlight here? Sure. Well, look, I think probably one of the most unusual features compared to other uh, more developed FDI regimes is just the sheer number of different authorities that need to be considered and or consulted. Um, and there is a quite a long list of um, authorities that have the sort of primary responsibility for overseeing foreign investment in Vietnam uh, and a sort of a, a number of different laws and regulations that are relevant to that. So if we're looking at legislation, um, you've got the law on enterprises, which is the key body of law regulating establishment or governance management operation of, of companies. So essentially the company's law. You then have law on investment where the focus is regulating uh, different forms of investment activities. And that covers both domestic investment as well as foreign investment. But it doesn't cover investment in listed or other public companies. Then you've got law on securities, which deals primarily uh, with uh, regulating various forms of securities, investments, activities, again, covering both domestic investment and foreign investment. And then on top of all of that, you've then got various, various sort of sector specific laws that deal with uh, regulating investments into those sectors. So you've got laws on um, credit institutions, land, real estate businesses, construction, pharmacy, power. Each of those bits of legislation have a number of implementing regulations coming from the local regulators or um, essentially subcommittees within ministries. And that they can take a form of decrees, uh, circulars from the ministries, decisions by provincial people's committees or departments, and all of those sort of supplementary legislation does um, supplement and, and affect the way the um, head law needs to be reviewed and interpreted. And some of the lower level legislation does also differ from uh, the municipality or province uh, to another. So as a result, the foreign investors need to be just very clearly aware of where the project will be located and what different uh, sets of legislation uh, would be relevant, both at the more central level and at the local level. Thanks, Irina. And in terms of enforcement of the regulatory framework contained in all of that legislation, what sort of sanctions do you see in the event of non-compliance? Sure. So in the legislation, penalties for non-compliance range from administrative fines to suspension or even withdrawal of the investment registration certificate. And in severe cases, the investor may also be forced to divest their stake. Thanks, Ken. Certainly a, a regime with teeth then. And thinking about transparency of decision making when potentially divestment of a stake could be an issue. I mean, that's something which is often criticised um, in respect of many foreign investment regimes around the globe. Is it also an issue in Vietnam? Absolutely. Look, in our experience, the decision making process 
uh, by the various authorities can be very bureaucratic and time consuming. Again, given the sheer volume of uh, different uh, government agencies that are often involved, the need for various approvals and permits, um, it's quite a lot of detailed scrutiny of investment proposals. So it's a often a drawn out and bureaucratic and time consuming process. And um, as I mentioned uh, it's a bit earlier, there is quite often some semi-formal consultation between the various um, uh, government agencies involved as well, uh, where the foreign investor might not necessarily have access or visibility on how that consultation is conducted or how certain decisions are arrived at. Thanks, Serena. Picking up a bit more on that issue of timing, um, that is, of course, always going to be an important practical consideration for investors. What is the impact of the review process on the deal timetable overall in practice? Well, under the statutory timeframes for review, it says the IRC application, so that is an application for an investment registration certificate, the statutory processing time is uh, normally 15 days, and then for an enterprise registration certificate, um, the processing time is normally three days, and for an acquisition approval application, the statutory processing time is normally 15 days. Um, and it's important to note that in Vietnam, the statutory processing times only commence once the licensing authority has indicated that it considers an application dossier to be complete and compliant. And normally that won't occur until a period of preliminary consultation, including submissions, admission, uh, amendments and supplementation of initial application dossiers. Thanks, Ken. And thinking about those timelines, can they be extended by, for example, stopping the clock pending a response to an information request? Absolutely. Uh, and that's why uh, quite often these timelines uh, are in practice are significantly longer. Um, generally, if uh, the relevant government authority requests for additional information, then the clock is stopped and uh, it, do, it does not restart until not only has the information been submitted, but also the governmental authority has confirmed that in fact everything that it needed in terms of additional or supplementary information has in fact been provided. Um, and in terms of the types of information um, that is often required, it's uh, quite often more details on financial information, uh, sometimes it's additional information in relation to the investor's background, for example, more information on the overall corporate structure, kind of going further up the chain. Um, sometimes it's additional studies around the project's impact on the environment or the socioeconomic factors, uh, or perhaps slightly more rarely, um, clarification on exactly how the project fits within the Vietnamese regulatory framework and regulations. So given just the sort of the potentially broad scope of additional further information that's required, um, in our experience, most applications, in fact, do take longer than the statutory uh, processing timelines. And for most applications, there is typically a request for additional information. Thanks, Serena. And what proportion of deals reviewed by the authorities tend to be cleared at the first stage of review without requiring too much further scrutiny? In our experience, most deals are cleared at the first stage of review. 
Um, but when we say first stage of review, uh, that includes that sort of uh, provision of additional information. So uh, the way we typically see this pan out is uh, when an application is made, whilst the government may stop the clock and ask for additional information, typically uh, once that information is provided, the government would uh, review it and uh, typically clear the project. It's rare for projects to go beyond the second sort of the first stage of review but it's not unheard of for complex or particularly sensitive deals thanks and thinking about the end of the review process if concerns are identified in relation to the proposed foreign investment what sort of remedies do you tend to see being imposed is it the case that conditions can usually be agreed to allow a deal to proceed or do you sometimes also see outright prohibitions I think in our experience, the outright prohibitions are rare. The more common approach is um, to see conditions being imposed. Um, and conditions can include things like um, limits on foreign ownership um, or sort of conditions around form of investment. So uh, a particular type of company or corporate vehicle being used. Um, We've seen some conditions around scope of investment operations, limits on capacity of the parties in terms of how they can get involved in the investment activity. So, so limiting the role that the investors can play and uh, other conditions that are generally prescribed by the National Assembly or uh, various resolutions of different level of government authorities. But as I say, it's it's more usual to see conditions than outright prohibitions. Thanks. And is it possible to engage in any sort of negotiations with the Vietnamese authorities as to the exact form of those conditions? There aren't any regulations or official guidance on negotiation with uh, authorities um, in place, but we do understand from dealing with local council that in practice, an applicant may verbally follow up with the authorities to amend application documents. Thanks, Ken. That's that's useful to know. And Thinking about your experience of transactions involving foreign investment into Vietnam, um, beyond the practical points that you've already raised, are there any other practical tips which you would give to investors in terms of getting the deal done? I think identifying the relevant authorities and the relevant laws that you will need to comply with uh, it, as early as possible is absolutely key. Um, in certain circumstances, you can uh, engage in sort of pre-notification discussions with those authorities. Now, any guidance is typically non-binding and can be different from uh, what the government ultimately would apply to a foreign investment application. However, um, those pre-notification discussions on an informal basis can be very useful in terms of just understanding the the thinking process or the particular view of authorities on a relevant sector or, or relevant type of investment. I think from a practical perspective, having a local partner that can help navigate and practice some of these more opaque or, or complicated interactions between different uh, levels of legislation and different authorities is also very important. Thanks. And just finally, have there been any recent developments in Vietnam which we haven't picked up on yet in terms of maybe recent high profile cases or topical issues which investors should have on their radar? 
Well, Vietnam is actively working to improve its FDI regime to attract more foreign investment. Um, we, we've seen some key new uh, FTAs come into force, such as the EU-Vietnam FTA, um, and these are expected to encourage foreign investment from key partner jurisdictions. Uh, we, we continue to see uh, significant investment from manufacturers, um, particularly uh, looking to Vietnam as a uh, alternative to low-cost manufacturing bases outside China. Um, we do expect education, healthcare, pharmaceuticals, infrastructure and renewable energy to remain very strong sectors with very strong positive outlooks. They're already attracting high volumes of foreign investment and we expect that to continue. Thanks, Serena, and thanks to you too, Ken, for sharing your insights today. It's been a really interesting discussion. I'm afraid that's all we've got time for, but thanks to our listeners for joining us. And please do let us know if you have any feedback on this episode or indeed any suggestions for areas to cover in future episodes of FDI Friday.